It seems like, though, when you go on vacation, you can expect something when you get back. You, you can expect something to happen. And you know what? It seems like every year I get back from vacation, you're elated because you're rested, but at the same time, you really wish you could have stayed longer, and you get back, and it just seems like the first couple days back at work, the world just blows up in your face. Has anybody else experienced that? I tell you, early this week, I was just so angry about a lot of different things that were going on. And I'll tell you, I got halfway through a sermon that looks very different than the one I'm giving you today. In fact, that sermon was a rant. It wasn't really a sermon. And I finally had to stop, back up and say, okay, Jeff, you're just whining now, right? Um, Because it seems like all of us are being affected more and more and more by some of the things that are happening around us. And the thing is, I don't think it should be that way. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic... It seemed like it was really easy for me to just kind of let things roll off and say it's not a big deal. So what if I get some more time home with my family? I like my family. I'm one of those weird, odd people that doesn't mind being home with his kids most of the time. I said, this is fine. We can do this. It's good. We're, you know, leading the charge. Man, I'll tell you what, a year later, I'm not only sick, I'm tired. (laughs) Amen? And it just seems like it's impacting me more and more. And so the question came into my mind, what, what do I need to hear from Scripture to remind me of who I am so that I'm not going to be affected. My joy isn't going to be stolen. My, my uh, cheeriness, my, my character isn't going to be affected by the things around me that happen. And I decided that we needed to take a look through a place in the Bible that we call, we refer to kind of as the Beatitudes. Because in this passage, and again, I'm going to streamline this because we went way over in first service. In this passage, Jesus basically addresses some things that the Christian needs to reflect. Now again, different people think this passage is is different things. And and the passage itself is kind of unique in that it sounds like almost like an Old Testament law code or of Matthew uses repetitive language. And and just so you know, this part that we're going to be studying comes out of a larger message that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up into the mountains. He began to teach the people. And in Matthew, we have recorded that whole message. And a lot of people look at that message and see it in different ways. But I believe that what Jesus was trying to do is confront this notion that all you have to do is clean up your life on the outside and you're fine. Because the Pharisees, religious leaders of Jesus' day, were doing things publicly the right way and and unfortunately inside of them they weren't living the life that they should have been living and so let me read you very quickly the beatitudes i want to kind of lay this down as a foundation and then each week we're going to kind of take one we're going to delve into it a little bit deeper and see where we come out with this Listen to these words, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up into the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. See, he sat down when he taught. I think we ought to adopt that. I might start doing that more often. You guys should stand. I'll sit during the sermon. How about that? I didn't think that'd go over too well. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, and I love that distinction. Jesus taught them everywhere they went, usually by what he did. But this time he opened his mouth and did it. Isn't that awesome? It's just kind of an interesting thing to think about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and and rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As you look at that passage, a lot of people take it the wrong way. A lot of people have looked at especially the Beatitudes and said, okay, if we're going to be good followers of Jesus, then we need to be poor in spirit. We need to mourn. We need to be gentle. We need to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We need to be merciful. We need to be pure in heart. And, and you, know, you can do that if you want. The Old Testament is full of laws of, of what you should believe Jesus had something else in mind. Because I don't believe Jesus was giving us a list of things we have to do to please God. Because you know what? I think God's already pleased with you. Can we agree on that? I think God's already pleased with you. Now, for some of us, he does not like the sin in our lives. Let's just be honest about that. There are things in my life that God wishes were different. There are things and decisions that I have made as an imperfect human being that God wishes he could just reset or take out of me and deliver away because the decisions that we make that are sin, that are wrong, that aren't what we should do, hurt us. And he hates that. But here's the thing. He's okay with you. In fact, the Bible says he loves you. So I don't think what Jesus ever intended was to give us one more list of things that we have to do to please God. You know what I think this list is? I think Jesus is trying to help the people in his day and the people today to understand that it isn't about what you do so much as it is who you are that matters to God. And before you can do all the right things, you have to be the right person. You see, being to Jesus is more important than doing because you you can be something and do something else for a time, but eventually who you really are is going to come out. Amen? How many of you have ever blown up in anger and rage at someone and they looked at you like, I had no idea you had that. Such a calm person all the time. Let me tell you. There have been a few times where people have come over to our house and they've seen Pastor Jeff in dad mode when one of the kids does something extremely stupid. And they have looked at me with those eyes as big as saucers and said, we thought you were perfect. I've got news for you. We're not. And this dad sometimes raises his voice at his children. Go ahead, judge me if you want to. That mom. Never, never, right? Listen, who you are on the inside is who is eventually going to come out on the outside. And what Jesus is essentially saying is, listen, these are the characteristics that if you want to be unaffected by the world around you, if you want to live a life, settle deeply into the peace of God, if you want to exhibit the kingdom characteristics, uh, the, the, the characteristics of God's kingdom living on earth, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to be poor in spirit. You're you're going to, at times, have to mourn. You're going to be gentle. You're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not because you have to do these things, but because they are the marks of a follower of Jesus. And so as Jesus opens up this teaching and he begins to give one of the most important sermons that he ever gave in his entire life, Matthew's the only one that records it. None of the other gospel writers took this you did. And this, this one sermon has become kind of a building point for a lot of people and how they live their lives. And as he sat down to do that, the first thing that he wanted people to hear is this is who you need to be on the inside. 
This is what your attitude ought to look like. When I was a kid, they used to call the Beatitudes the be happy attitudes. Anybody else ever hear that? I think it was only my church. Only somebody in my church made that up. But it makes sense, doesn't it? It's interesting that the reason we call them the Beatitudes is Something like that. And so it's literally that word. So you take beatitude and it's literally be and attitude. It, it almost makes sense, doesn't it? Nobody else sees it. Anyway, moving on. But he, he wants us to understand that there are attitudes, there are things inside of us that need to be addressed if we're going to follow Jesus. The first one is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to jump into being poor in spirit. What does it mean? What does it mean to be poor? How many of you know what it means to be poor? Yeah, I don't think we really do. I mean, there are certainly times in my life where I have felt poor, but how do you know what it, it means to be poor? Now, I know there are people in America who do. But honestly, I grew up with food on the table, with a house, uh, a roof over my head. I grew up with clothes on my back. I'm not sure I really understand what it means to be poor. I know what it's like not to have as much money as the guy next to me. I know what that's like. In fact, I've lived that way my whole life. There's always somebody who has more than you. That's why the Ten Commandments say we're not supposed to covet. You remember that one? Because Jesus knew that would be the case. We know what it means to be poor, but you know what? In the Jewish culture, it meant something different. Because in the Jewish culture, in the Old Testament, there were laws about how people were to treat people who were poor. For instance, they had this wonderful concept back then called the year of Jubilee. Has anybody ever heard of that? The year of Jubilee. So the year of Jubilee would come along and people who had, for instance, been sold into slavery because of their debts or had their lands possessed because of a debt, people who had lost everything because of of the fact that they had debts they couldn't repay or whatever, there was this year of Jubilee when everything was set to zero, everybody got their stuff back, people got their freedom back, and it was kind of like a start over kind of moment. How many of you wish Capital One would pick that tradition? up amen or maybe your mortgage company right hey i know i i offered to or you, you loaned me this money for this house but you know what it's a year of jubilee so it's mine now you have no further claim how, how well do you think that'd go over probably not right that they they had it built right into their law code you see in the in the times that after Moses lived, they, they basically wrote into the law code some rules about how the poor were to be treated to make sure that nobody ended up destitute. There was also an example, if you look at the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, if you haven't ever read that book, I want to challenge you to read it. It's easy to find. Look it up on your device. The book of Ruth is a wonderful story about a, a mother whose son died and the daughter stays with her and helps her. And, and the way the story goes, basically in a nutshell, town. Or they go back to Naomi's hometown, sorry. And Ruth, her, her, <laughs> Chris was right. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, uh, basically goes out into the fields to try to find food. And what the tradition was, was this. As the harvesters of, of the owner would go through and harvest the grain, whatever was left on the ground behind them, the, the poor, the widows, the, the, the orphans, they could come behind and they could pick up whatever grain was left. And, and so as Ruth is coming through, sometimes there were landowners that would say, you get out of our field, we don't want you. I'm sending these people through again. They're going to pick up the extra. You get out of our fields. But Boaz was an honorable man. And he saw Ruth out there gathering, saw how hard she was working, and he actually went a step further. He went to his harvesters and said, hey, drop a little extra on the ground as you go. This is a nice guy, right? What a kind, compassionate man. Well, truth be told, I think he had a crush on Ruth. That's what I think was happening here. Because later they end up getting married. But you know, generosity is generosity, right? And it just goes to show you 
at times in Israel's history, there were people who did it right. There were people who made sure that the poor were taken care of. But unfortunately, in most of Israel's history, especially in the times before Jesus, most of the poor were completely forgotten. People didn't care. They threw away those Old Testament laws. They didn't address them anymore. So being poor not only meant that you didn't have enough, Oftentimes for them, it meant that you had been forsaken by society. So as, as Jesus is using this concept and he says the word poor, there are certain connotations that jump into their minds. But then he clarifies, not just poor, he, he says poor in spirit. Now what does it mean to be poor in spirit? If being poor in, in physical terms means you don't have enough, then certainly being poor in the Spirit kind of means the same thing. Let me give you a couple words that I think can help us understand the whole concept of what it means to be poor in Spirit. The first is simply humility. I believe equal with being humble. In other words, having a, a correct and a true estimate of who you are. Not thinking too much of yourself. Now, now, get this idea out of your head that humility means you're just, you know, mild-mannered, never stick up for yourself and never do anything. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is doing what you can do, using the gifts God's given you, using the talents you have, just not having an incorrect assessment of your own worth and thinking that you're more than you are. That's what humility is. It doesn't mean you sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. It means that, that you work hard to do what you can, but you understand your own faults, you understand your own flaws, and you understand your own needs. And one of the best ways I believe you can live in humility is to never compare yourself to anybody except Jesus. If you want to be humbled, compare your life to Jesus. You'll get humble real quick. Because the way that Jesus handled everything in his life was amazing. I would give my eye tooth to be able to answer sometimes the way Jesus answered, right? People would come at him and they'd ask him these questions designed to trap him. And he would just fire right back with the truth and, and they would stop talking. Man, I would give anything for an answer that would always cause people to stop talking. Amen? I'm being a little bit facetious there. But sometimes it just seems like I don't have the, I would love that. Um, you know, you can always find somebody who's better than, or who you're better than if you're looking. So only compare yourself to Jesus. From time to time have said, listen, I know I have my faults, but I'm better than so-and-so. You ever said that? Some of y'all are lying. You're looking down because you don't want me to know. The worst thing in the world we could ever do is compare ourselves to someone else because there will always be someone else that will be better than you. Or there will always be someone else that will make you feel better than you are. Being blessed and happy isn't about being better, my friends. If we want to, Jesus is talking about where the circumstances of this world don't affect our happiness, don't affect our joy, then we have to understand that being better than someone else is never the goal. Okay? It's never the goal. It's not about being better. It's about being honest with ourselves about who we are. Humility is simply that, the act of being honest with yourself about who you are. The second word is this. It's to be empty. I know we don't like empty these days. We want to be full. You know, when I'm driving my car around, I don't like it when it gets empty. That, that's dangerous, right? I want it full. I know people that fill up their car when they hit that, that three-quarters of a tank mark. Y'all are crazy. Don't you know if the tank's full, you get worse gas mileage? What's wrong with you people doing that? My grandpa was like that. Never let, his, never, never let your fuel gauge get below three-quarters of a tank, and you'll never run out of gas. I'm like, Grandpa, there's a lot more in there. It'll be okay. 
And there's a gas station every 20 feet at where we live, okay? We don't like the, the concept of empty. Empty to us means less, and in America, less more. Am I right? To be less means you're somehow not good enough. And I'm here to tell you that the best thing you can be as a follower of Jesus at times is empty. Why? Because you can't fill something, you can't fill something until it's empty. And you know what? God wants to fill us. He wants to fill us with all that he is. He wants to fill us with his wisdom, his truth. All that we aren't. So we need to be honest with ourselves about who we are and we need to be honest with ourselves about our shortcomings and be willing to allow ourselves to be empty before God so that he can fill us with all that he wants for us. And again, that doesn't mean we don't use our talents. That doesn't mean we give up on life. It doesn't mean we just wait for God to do something. It means that we do the best we can and we let him fill all the cracks, all the places that are left. Friends, you'll never be so happy that you're not enough. I'm here to tell you, there will come a time in your life where you will recognize, you will have to recognize that you're not enough. Now, here's the thing. If, if I, as a pastor, stand up here in front of you and say to you, I am not always enough, there is a danger that someone will come and take that and say, well, why would I ever listen to that guy? Joel Osteen has it all. He knows everything. He's definitely enough. Why don't I just go get, go get Joel's book and Pastor Jeff, this you know, guy who just wallows around in his own whatever all the time. We'll just leave him set. You know, there is a danger for leaders that if we are transparent about what we aren't, the people will stop listening to us. But here's the thing. I made a decision a long time ago to be honest with people and to be transparent as much as possible. And I'm here to tell you, I've had experiences in ministry where I stood before people and knew for a fact I was not enough. I had one of them yesterday. I went to Midland, Michigan, and did a funeral for a 42-year-old husband and father. A guy that I knew 12, 15 years ago. I met through another couple that was connected to our church. They never attended our church, but I loved them. They were great people, wonderful people. And, and this guy, I, I married them. I, I did their ceremony. I didn't marry them. I, I did the ceremony for them. Just say that right. And, and while I'm sitting on my deck in the Pigeon Forge cabin that we were in, and drinking my coffee, looking forward to having a carefree, wonderful week. And I read a post from his wife that he's gone, just died, just like that. In Midland, Michigan yesterday, I stood before over 300 people outside, outside, who gathered to celebrate this guy. And you know what? I looked at my, and I looked at them, and I knew in that moment I was not enough. There were no words that would be enough. There weren't enough hugs to give. We weren't allowed to hug. Don't spread rumors about me. There was not enough in me to fix what was wrong in that moment. I felt the same way about eight years ago when I got a call in the early morning hours from a family who had lost their adult daughter and a grandchild in the same night, unexplicably. 
You know what? I was driving to their house early in the morning. I had no idea what I would find when I got there. But I can guarantee you in that moment, I felt about this big. Because there's no words you can say to a family when that kind of thing happens. Listen to me. I hope you are never in one of those situations. But there will come a time when you will have to recognize that you are not enough. And in that moment, God wants you to be everything that you can be. But he also wants you to be empty enough and, and willing enough and humble enough. weak. That's what the scripture says. In our weakness, he is made strong. If we're always strong, nobody gets to see the power of God work. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're truthful with ourselves, we may be really good in one area. But there's always some place that we need God to fill up. I hope that you recognize that. Trying to be better and more than everybody around us then the circumstances of life are going to knock us down, they're going to take us out, and they're going to steal our joy. I know that because I think that happened to me a little bit this week. You know, part of my issue through all this COVID stuff is what's the church going to look like when we're done? I miss the days we had like 150 people in here. Don't you? I miss those days. I want them to be back. But you know what? There's no guarantees of anything. Everybody's panicking. I got people sharpening their secondary skills because they're wondering, am I even going to have a church when this is all over? It's a scary time for us. And you know what I finally had to come to terms with this week? (laughs) We're either going to be a church or we're not. I'm going to throw everything I got at it, but you know what? It's probably not going to be enough. So guess who has to do the rest? You. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. God. If you want to help, though, we're open to that. Me and God are, okay? It's going to take more than me to restart this church. And more than you, too, honestly. I believe if we allow ourselves to be what Jesus describes as poor in spirit, if we allow ourselves to be humble and to empty ourselves enough that we can be filled with him, God will do amazing things through us. And then the end of that verse will come true. Ours will be the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say will be someday. He says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we live this way, we are literally living in the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom that lives in our hearts, that will one day come to in its fullness, but for now dwells in the hearts of his followers. And when we live out the characteristics of the kingdoms, then we fulfill Jesus' prayer, which I love to quote, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but I want this church to help earth to look like heaven. That's what I want. For you. Father in heaven, I come before you today and I thank you so much for your love and your grace and your peace that you give to us. And all around me, I I see Christians who are struggling with how to accept that, that grace and that peace right now. It just seems like with all the things happening in the world, we're being affected far more than we should because we know that if we will simply allow ourselves to, to be unaffected by the world around, your grace and your peace and your love will be sufficient for anything that we face. And as we go through these beatitudes, these, these statements that, that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks, help us to see how having our attitudes straight, how getting our heads right and, and developing character that comes from within through these statements. If we can exhibit these things, then, then I believe we will, be, we will be better equipped to live out the kingdom of heaven principles 
in a world that so desperately needs to see them. And your kingdom will truly come on this earth. Help us, Father, to always make room for you to live our lives with humility and be willing to empty ourselves so that you can fill in the cracks. And may you be glorified by every single one of our weaknesses. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.